Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Have you been looking for a break from the drudgery of the real world? What if the future wasn't so bleak? What if someone was to save us all? How would that look? I must know, does your microwave can't go ting when it's done shooting? Well, you're in luck, because Cybertopia is a rules-like TTRPG actual play that explores just such a reality. We've got this disco ball, which is pretty cool. We've got these two drones flying around in here, uh, dodging me out of the smoke. Check us out on your podcast app of choice, and here are rolling cast of 16 fantastic players take on weird and wild missions that the corporate overlords need taken care of for totally altruistic and benevolent reasons. Okay, this time it's serious. I would like to turn my uh, hacking hat backwards. Welcome, everybody, to Tabletop Journeys. So we are going to be talking about industry news again this week with another of our State of the Table episodes. Before we get into everything that's happened over the last couple of weeks, because somehow the tabletop role-playing game space just cannot stay out of the news. Mr. Myers, Mr. Miller, good evening. Lovely to see you, as always. Mr. Miller, I see you're rocking your Superman shirt tonight. Hope things are well. Things are excellent. I got the Superman shirt on. Of course they're good. <laughs> I got a little bit of purple, though, between the blue. So what's, what's going on there? Is that, no, Ouch. Just, Ouch. You, look. <laughs> you went there. <laughs> so, see, see, y'all, that's a visual joke that you're not going to get in an audio podcast. So. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so. How about you, Glenn? How are things going? I know you said that you were dealing with some weather over the last couple of days down there. Yeah, it's been a little bit stormy here in Virginia Beach the t- past two days, but we can't complain too much. It's been pretty nice most of the time we were here. Today, we were down at the Military Aviation Museum, and they've got a bunch of planes and stuff, which was really groovy, and some from an actual hangar brought over from Germany and reassembled and stuff, and a bunch of German aircraft, too, which really (laughs) is right up Nate's alley. So we were over there largely for him, but the rest of us enjoyed it as well. And it's they recommended where we were last week when we went down to the Wright Brothers Museum at 
Kitty Hawk on Kitty Hawk, yeah. the Outer Banks where the That's flights cool. actually took place. And that museum just got redone a couple of years ago and it was really pretty awesome. And their guided tour was phenomenal. That's on the bucket list of things that I need to get down and see. That's just got to be the coolest thing. I can only imagine. It, it was pretty groovy. They've got like a piece of the track they used for launch set up at the launch spot and like the marking boulder for where they were going. And then they have marker boulders for each of the flights on the momentous day where they stayed in powered flight. And they had four flights that day and how far they yeah. went each time. And it was, it's pretty cool. And a big, huge monument on the up on the hill and... It's really a big sand dune covered in grass, but it's a hill. Nice. Nice. And and as you said, everything anything exciting happening down in good old Groton, Connecticut there, Mr. Miller? So a lot of my excitement just comes from working on our upcoming projects, just all kinds of fun stuff. I know that July 22nd, the date has been re- revealed. The folks over at Drinking and Dragons have announced that as the date for their next convention. They have changed their venues. It's going to be in Colchester. So I'm looking forward to that and trying to plot my course for what game I might run. Let's I'm plot your some- course a hint. Of where you're leaning? (laughs) (laughs) And yes, it was. I'm going to leave it at that. Exploring new systems? Is that... uh Yeah, I'm looking forward to having a lot of fun at Drinking and Dragons. I think it's going to be a great time. It always is a new venue. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Not that the old venues were not fun, but new spaces are great. Just as far as equidistant to me, so that doesn't matter. I'm hoping we can get a really good turnout for July 22nd. Drinking and Dragons is such a great event. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that they are continuing to go ahead and roll on and continuing to do the the good work that they do. We had them on the show, got forever ago now at this point, but that's... Awesome. Josh, I heard that you were leaving Jenny, despite the fact that she's a new mama and the baby behind, to come down here and participate. That is purely rumor and speculation, scurrilous rumors that have no basis in fact. <laughs> Especially because the wife does hear the podcast. <laughs> yeah, maybe I just made that up. So if you're listening yeah. to this, Jenny, that, w- that was me talking, not Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I understand even trouble. up in Maine there are conversations about some uh, alternate appearances on the horizon. So there or, are, actually. Yeah, no, I was actually talking with, uh, with Al Spader earlier today and trying to go ahead and take a play out of Mr. Lee Winika Miller's game book where we're talking about getting with the our friendly local neighborhood game store Crossroad Games to to do some Star Trek adventure starter box set runs with Al Spader so that could be that could be fun. He and I don't live that far apart from one another. Yeah, we're really looking forward to go ahead and try to see if we can make that happen. So that's I'll be like I said Lee Winika will be picking your brain about the the what four or five times now that you've run through the starter box set to go ahead and for tips on that one. So it'll be uh, that'll be cool. So excellent. Excellent. Yeah. All right, let us uh, let us get in here then to the meat and potatoes of what we're going to be discussing tonight. And again, we're talking industry news tonight. I know we did an industry news episode not that long ago, but the tabletop role playing games news space right now is hot. It is there is so much going on. It is tough to go ahead and for us to go ahead and keep our fingers on it unless we unless we plan on talking about it because that really makes us all sit down and read through everything that's going on here. So we're going to touch on two big topics tonight to start, and then we got a handful of smaller topics. But the first one is that since we met last, the Kickstarter for Tales of the Valiant slash Project Black Flag has launched. And boy, did it launch. So the goal was $100,000 on the campaign. 27 minutes it took 
to fund. And as I am looking at it right now, it is it is inching up to eight hundred thousand dollars for Cobalt Press and Tales of the Valiant. Good for them. But I will admit that I have not yet backed the I have not yet backed the Kickstarter, and I'm still hovering over the green button for a lot of reasons. And I'll, I'm sure we'll get into this as the discussion goes on here. But uh, but Luminico, let's start with you. I know that you have already backed, so tell me what you're thinking about the Kickstarter and the way that it's going, and what you saw in there that made you made you jump in. Yeah, I'm a day one backer. I would have backed immediately, but I did back in as soon as I got out of work that afternoon. What really brought me to the table for Tales of the Valiant starts back with all the things that I've said when we've talked about Project Black Flag along the way, which is they are really doing some things that I think the 5e game has always needed. They are making changes that I am very comfortable with. They are a lot of changes that I have either sought out homebrew for or created homebrew for or worked on. I'm enamored with the transparency of the company and how they do things. And honestly, I think one of the greatest things about backing this project is access to some of the playtest material that's not going to be publicly available is going to give me some bird's eye view on these things. Now, they have over the last couple of weeks, they with their design diaries, they've done an amazing job of saying, hey, Here's what we changed based on the last playtest, and they actually detail item by item what it was, where it's going, their thought process behind it. So there are some things that you even pointed out, Josh, that you were not quite so happy with, even things that I might have been perfectly okay with that they have reversed, but they were overt and obvious about it. I'm just going to give this one example. I really recommend everybody listening to this. Just go look at their design diary because it's a great it's a great tool to figure out how they are choosing to manage playtest and playtest feedback. But they specifically took the flat damage roll for creatures versus rolled damage for monsters. And they said, look, the community spoke. The community wants to see both. We thought it would be easier to just have the flat number the community disagreed with that statement, it's back on. And they were very clear. That was just one of the examples. There are too many for us to go into a show where this is only part of the discussion, but they just literally went item by item through the playtest or what was changing. So we have a really good idea of what is changing in this process. As a content creator, who at some point will likely be part of creating things for Tales of the Valiant or the core, core role-playing system, what I can tell you is seeing what they have in a playtest and then seeing the design diary of what they went back to is giving me a lot of foresight on what I may need to do. So even if I don't see the final product, if I was working on something right now today and I was following along with this design diary and right before this came out, I would probably be able to, with very few amounts of edits or effort, get it ready to ready to go just by following along with their design diary. So for me as a content creator who will likely be in this space, backing this and having access to all of their playtest is critically important to my process. And I recommend if you are a content creator listening to this and that's something you might be considering, it might be a good reason to back. What about you, Glenn? What are your thoughts on it? So I remain excited for Tales of the Valiant. I have not backed yet either, not because of specific hesitancy. I'm going to be completely honest. Part of it is budgeting, and part of it is I honestly suffer strongly from CRS. Can't remember. 
So while we're talking about it, it's active in my brain and we're right there. But if I don't stop and back like right now, by the time we're done and we move on to our next topic, I'm going to have forgotten. And the next time it pops into my head is going to be about three in the morning while I'm laying in bed and I'm going to get tomorrow. And then it just drifts away again. But I am very much excited for the game and I am planning to back because I want early con I want the delivered copies and whatnot to start being prepared as a content creator to create because I'm confident we will wind we will not wind up, but we will be in the future creating for this system. We may also be creating for Daggerheart and some of the other five E offshoots compatible <laughs> expansions <laughs> and new games that come out. But I think Liwanika was right on the money with as these are all literally breaking not just news, but breaking ground and our yeah. hobby in the TTRPG community, all of these new variants of D&D coming out, of, out from underneath Watsi's thumb are big news. And any of them that are decent, we're going to wind up more than likely doing work for and writing on. Yeah. I'm going to be honest, I'm looking forward to getting into materials from Daggerheart when it starts being released, but I know it's a little sure. bit further out. Uh, but yeah. I've also been really impressed with their transparency going through their design diaries and the fact that they do basically keep a change log and tell you exactly what they've changed, the things that they changed because and why they changed it. It's almost always invariably because of response from the playtest. They're being they're making it very clear that they're listening to the playtest feedback and that they're working hard to incorporate the community's thoughts, wants, and desires into this game as they build it. Honestly, that's going to give it throughout the process as long as they stay true to it. It's going to give it the strongest foundation of any of the 5e-style products out to date. Whether or not Daggerheart also follows that same model and is 100% engaged with the community, though I'm sure that they will be hasn't been seen yet so there's maybe just as good but the fact that they're taking so much of the opinion of the community into it means that this is going to be at this point evidently the community's game yeah first of all tremendous success for kobold doing they have really fired a shot over the bow of wizards of the coast by saying anything you can do we can do better the community is really solidly backing them on this play. Pushing $800,000 worth of backing. Yeah, that's. I think that Watsi would be happy if a book sold 6,500 copies and made a million dollars. Even more than that, that they sold a book a year in advance and got 6,500 advance sales. It's not 6,500 copies in retailers. It's not 6,500 copies direct from... It's 6,500 copies for a book that's not going to be out until next April. So at least, because it's on Kickstarter, so who knows? So I think that's the first thing that struck me about the campaign is that, oh boy, the community is really speaking about what they hope this is going to be. I think that... The transparency behind their writing process is commendable. And I really do want to go ahead and give Cobalt credit for that, because that was one of the huge things that we said about Watsi. When the OGL Kerfluffle started, and it started coming out about whether or not they actually listened to the survey feedback that we sent them, and Watsi kind of tried to like redouble that effort and say, yeah, we totally are. I don't think anybody really believed him, though. And Cobalt clearly is doing that. I do still wish that Cobalt stopped trying to convince us that this is a new game. They're not trying to convince us it's a new game. They said it specifically in their press copy that it's a brand new game coming to Kickstarter. Well, it is a brand new game coming to Kickstarter that's based off of the 5e system. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Just like if we wrote if we wrote a brand new game that was based off of the Lumen system, but it was our own game, it'd be our own game, right? 
I will die on this bridge. It's okay. I know you will. I have backup for you. One of the things that I watched that the guy was, I do wish just like you are. But he didn't die on the bridge. He said it. He hemmed and hawed. At the end, he whined about it once or twice more, and then he moved on. I whine about it every single time we talk about it. Every single time. But that's okay. Sorry, Lee Winneka, for stealing your thunder. If I did, please continue. I was going to say two things. I absolutely and firmly believe there's a difference between game and system. And I do believe this is a new game within a generic system. That generic system is called 5e. That's how I believe. Me too. That said, I hear your complaints and where I thought you were a lone voice shouting in the wilderness because I absolutely disagree with you. Yeah. I did find a person, a single person out of the nine billion on this planet who agrees with you. It's a very smart so, person. You know, that's one person of the much less than nine million people who create content and put it on the internet for us to consume. Yeah. I wanted to throw you that bone, too. (laughs) All jokes aside, I did want to say you're not alone in that opinion. I don't share it. Instead of leaning in and saying, you know what? We're going to go ahead and make, we're going to out Watsy. We're going to make a better D&D 5 product. We're going to go ahead and kick the crap out of them with the content we're putting in the book. We're going to give them better rules. We're going to do it just better. Instead, they're trying to say, ooh, look at how rebellious we're being. They're building a game off the 5e engine. They don't get to have it both ways. How could they not be trailblazing? How many other people are doing it right now that are already in the process, already have play tests out, already have feedback, and are already working with the fans on the development of the game? Okay. They are the first ones to raise that flag. My other issue, why lock further playtest documents behind the Kickstarter and not make them publicly available? That I don't like either, I'm going to be honest. I think that this is one of those things that Cobalt at the end of the day is being a little performative. They're being performative in the way that they're marketing this product. They're being performative in the way that they're they're taking feedback and accepting feedback. And the community is so hungry for something that's not Wizards of the Coast, but is still the game that they love, that they're willing to go ahead and let Cobalt say all these things. But I don't think it's real. So that's kind of where I'm coming down. What do you think is not real? I don't think that Cobalt is as magnanimous as the community is making them out to be. Maybe magnanimous is the wrong word. I don't think that Cobalt is the answer that a lot of people are looking for in the wake of all of the crap that went down with Wizards of the Coast at the beginning of the year. I'm not actually sure that they're that answer. I'm not actually sure they're better. There's no way to know that until they come out. And if you're talking about content versus company, the content we won't know until it comes out. Company, they're a company that is... A corporation designed to make money. They are going they are going to work from yeah. that perspective. I'm not a fan of the playtest behind the paywall thing. And that that is but that's the only thing I've seen from them so far that kind of sticks in my craw. I'm yeah. not but I'm not gonna say that they're magnanimous or they're definitely the end all be all. I'm just saying they're the only freaking game in town right now. They're the only people with the stones to say it, do it put their money where their mouth is, get it off, start getting it off the ground and be working it's, with us on it. It's really easy to put your money where your mouth is when 6,500 people throw $800,000 at you. Well, they didn't do that a month ago. They didn't have that yet. They've been working on this for a long time. Nobody else has got anything out. And I'm not saying that makes them a knight in shining armor or anything. In fact, that may be responsible for that $800,000 number. They don't have any competition yet in the who can be better than Watsy but not Watsy parade yet. Right. They don't have anything else out there for anybody to sink their teeth and their tables into to really 
show another horse in the race. So yeah, everybody's money's on this horse because it's the only one on the track. Will I, it be amazing? No, Daggerheart might blow it out of the water. Yep. But I like what I see so far. I really wanted to be done, but you did pose a question, so I felt obligated to address that. As a person who backed, I have no problem with the portions of the playtest being behind a paywall. Sure, and here's, sure. why, here's why I would say that. I listen to a YouTube channel, The Professor of Rock, and his Patreons, he calls them all producers because they are providing the resources that allow him to produce the content. And so they are producers of that content. So I do think there's no problem with saying the people who are providing the R&D money and the R&D resources to have a heavier hand on the till than the public at large. I don't have any fundamental difference with that. So I, that's my take. I'll keep it as simple as that. Now, whether that should be everything or just those few specific items that are only going to be that way, that's probably a different question. Do I think other things probably should be more in the public venue for playtests? Absolutely. But I do feel that on a production end of things, I don't have any fundamental issue with that. Here's where my issue comes down. And yeah, I'm threading this needle, right? We are praising Kobold for their transparency and the way that they are responding to the community. You don't get to claim that you're being transparent and that you're listening to all the potential players and everything like that if you're taking half of your playtest material and putting it behind a paywall. We do not make that claim. You said you don't get to say you're listening to all of your audience. I don't think they said all. I think what they said is our playtesters won, and I think them taking their playtest group and shrinking that for the final stages is not a problem. I think that this is a stage production thing that they're doing, and I think their transparency is not in jeopardy because they told us this to begin with. They said Wide audience for the early initial playtests, tighter audience for the later playtests, final product, April of 2024. I don't think that's a problem. I think they were exceptionally transparent about that. So I disagree that they can't call themselves transparent simply on the basis of that issue because so, they told us they were doing that. You're not wrong. It's not like they can't call themselves transparent. They are being very transparent and they're being very communicative. communicative. But I'm going to throw Josh another bone in that I agree with him on this one. Because it may not be the all that Josh used. He made it a very big generic statement. But we did just spend quite a while talking about how excited we are and happy we are that they're being so communicative and so open. And that they're working with the community at large with their playtest. And I hear what you're saying about a later tighter playtest, because that should happen. Once they get past the big general playtest, all of the stuff that's already been playtested and rewritten should be playtested again with a tighter group. But when you're looking at what they're choosing to to put out, it's two subclasses or two classes come to the public. Two classes go to only the Patreon backers. Those aren't advanced playtesting. That's the first release of those two classes, and the rest of the community doesn't get to see them. Exactly. So in this instance, I do agree with Josh, and it's not that they're doing anything dirty or underhanded. Adding extras for Patreons and adding extras for backers for Kickstarter is just part of what we do. It's how we involve Absolutely. our own personal fan yeah. base communities but in this instance since it's first release of the documentation they're going to earn more backers by letting us all see it and get excited about it in my opinion than they are by hiding some of that material yeah. 
only like said, for Batman. You know, it's not quite as open as it could be or should be, in my opinion, that in, in that point. And maybe they don't care about my 80 bucks because they have already made 800000 But I will tell you that these are the thoughts that every single time, because I've had the tab open for the 10 days that it's been running. And every single time I go to hit the little back this campaign button, these are the thoughts that are in the back of my head. Is this actually the company that I want to be giving my money to? And I have backed a lot of Kickstarters. I have given money to a lot of Kickstarters that I probably shouldn't have. And this one's making me feel dirty, and I don't like it. See, it definitely doesn't make me feel dirty, and I don't see that. I see how passionate you are about it. But would you mind if I presented that perhaps your initial distaste with as vehement as it was has carried over to color your perception sense? Sure, totally. Yeah, I think they've been dirty since the beginning. You're absolutely right. Yeah, not wrong. I'll I will fully admit that I haven't. I have not liked the way that they have. I from the moment that they backtracked from we're designing something new to nope, we're going to go ahead and make we're making five point five, and they have come out and said that we are making D and D five point five. From the moment that they said that, I was like, eh, okay, they're following the money. And that's, that is anybody that's trying to go ahead and say that this effort is about anything else other than that is being foolish. It's about the money. I guess my issue is I don't have a problem with that. I th- They're a company out to make money. Like I don't this. have a problem with them wanting to go ahead and make money. Yeah. I just wish that they were being upfront about it instead of telling me that's not. Our philosophical yeah, difference yeah. about the words used is why we differ on this opinion. But essentially – you're questioning their – you question because their words to you means it's not what they said. My view of those exact same words is it is exactly what they said. We actually define what they said differently. And because of that difference, you have a bad taste. Because of that difference, I'm willing to back it. Our positions would be reversed if they had gone your way, if they made a new game, I would be less likely to have dropped a hundred dollars backing them because I am less likely to spend a hundred dollars on a brand new thing than I am a hundred dollars on something I like. So I am backing because they went five V versus you are questioning because they didn't go a different route. The calculation spe- is who's defining what they said in which way it's a yeah. bilateral decision. And that's what the community is going to be deciding. Yeah. Oh, that part's moot. But I, just to close out, I, I hear what you're saying, Josh, and it's not that I don't see what you're saying, because I see where it's coming from. I think part of the reason I was more okay with the shift than you is that I don't expect any for com- for-profit company to be altruistic. It just doesn't exist in a for-profit company. <laughs> yeah, you might sure. find it in a nonprofit, but none, we're not nonprofit any more than they are. So they're going to follow the money and they're going to follow the fans. And I contend in this instance that they didn't just follow the money. They followed the fan base that the money comes from. I think they will retain a bigger fan base for their opening game and put their company in a better position by staying 5e compatible just because of the existing Watsy fan base that right now is desperate for something else to play that still like the game they love. Do you want early access to every Tabletop Journeys episode? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? Or, heck, do you just want to support the show? Join our Patreon today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. 
We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, or you can make a one-time contribution to the cause. We love doing the show for y'all, and support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. So join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. So the other thing that we wanted to go ahead and talk into tonight is that there was another playtest or another release that came out this week that's certainly getting a lot of attention and it's getting a lot of kind of like weird mixed attention, which I think it, part of the controversy is I think what we want to go ahead and talk about tonight. But but the creative minds behind Critical Role and Darrington Press have put out basically a starter kit for their game Candela Obscura, which is a horror sort of Cthulhu themed game that, and I'm not sure if you guys have had the chance to read through the playtest material yet. It's really cool. It's got a lot of really nifty elements to it. And how I first came to it was I found a TikTok video that basically came out and said, hey, this game, the new game by Darrington Tress, super derivative. It's basically exactly like Blades in the Dark. I can draw specific parallels. And I really wish that Darrington and Critical Role had been more upfront about that. Now, that was the first thing that I saw. I Even in our little Tabletop Journeys group chat, I even made a comment that somebody learned their lessons from Cobalt Press. Uh, One of us made thing. that comment. Yeah, no I, no, I made the joke. I admit it. I, it was my joke. Here's the thing, though. That video was bullshit because was. in the playtest packet, if you actually download it and read it, they acknowledge exactly where the meat and potatoes for this game came from in proper in in the exact way that you would have wanted them to acknowledge that actually at the very end they listed acknowledgments they listed specifically games that they listed elements from they went through and they talked about various media elements that they worked with movies and videos and music and books and everything that they were inspired by to go ahead and help build this the playtest information and presumably the rest of the information the rest of the game that we're going to go ahead and see from this. Kudos to them for doing that, because I think that my initial take was, oh, I can't believe they're actually doing that. Oh, Matt Mercer with my shaking my fist at the clouds as they rolled by. I actually think they did this one the right way. And reading through the playtest material is really good. It's really interesting. The Some of the things that they're doing are, are cool. You've also read Blades in the Dark fully, correct? I have, yes. So then my question to you, because I have not read Blades in the Dark. Yeah. I don't have I do not have that game yet, but I've heard enough great things about it that I'm thinking about picking it up. If I can get a copy. But my question, is it accurate that this game that Critical Role is putting out, Kandala yeah, Obscura, yeah. is it in fact like as you're reading through it literally a direct lift from Blades in the Dark in terms of the guts of the system, the engine, the core behind it, the way that the articles and videos at first were making it sound. I mean, they were saying like direct mechanics without even name changes. Yeah, that criticism is fair. It really okay, is. I think that yeah. probably, yeah, of the rules that are in there, and just to kind of put some numbers behind it, I think probably 90% of the rules in there are either taken from Blades in the Dark verbatim or are taken from Blades in the Dark with subtle turns of phrase name changes. So my issue then is I've gone because I had read all of them and the only thing I didn't I've read the I read the playtest or the the preview rules that we're talking about. I've watched videos and read articles about the controversy around it. The issue that I would have is looking at the way that it is listed in the Critical Role product. Yeah. It's listed as, and I'm going to read it, 
We would like to tip our hats to the TRPG Blades in the Dark by John Harper from Evil Hat Productions. John's work is an incredible inspiration, both in mechanics and tone, and it is our great joy to count them as a friend. Should your inv- should your investigators turn to a life of smuggling and thievery, we encourage you to take your circle to play among the scoundrels of Duskfall, which is a, a lovely little paragraph, but it does not say powered by the apocalypse, illuminated by Lumen, <laughs> sliced by Blades in the Dark. It does not say this is a port of the Blades in the Dark game. It yeah. acknowledges that they're an inspiration, but if it is as much of a rewrite as it yeah. as the articles were indicating, and you're now confirming, yeah. that needed to be a much, much stronger statement, in my opinion. Possibly on the front cover, or at least top billing, saying it shouldn't even be among the inspirations. If it's literally a rule lift, it should be done like a Lumen game or a Powered by the Apocalypse game, where you're straight up giving credit to the original system. Yep. 100% as this is what we based it off of. These are other inspirations. But this is where the meat and potatoes came from. Yeah. Thanks, Blades in the Dark, for loaning us your engine. Yeah. And they did not do that. So while there definitely is a reference in here to Blades in the Dark, I still stand by the fact that they didn't, in my opinion, based yeah. on that statement, give full credit to the game the way that it was due. I think that's totally fair for you to go for you to go ahead and say. And I think that kind of where I'm coming from is that I went into it thinking that there wasn't going to be anything. And so when there was something, I was like, oh, okay, they actually did do that. But I do 100% hear you that it could have and probably should have been stronger. So full disclosure, I do not do horror and I'm not big on horror games. Despite the fact that I greatly enjoyed our aliens thing, and that's something that's an experience I would like to redo. I love the real thing and the horror-ish elements involved in that. Action um, horror is a little different than straight horror, though. True yeah. thing. You know, true aliens thing. isn't Cthulhu. But there's a reason why I don't play Cthulhu games, and it's not because I don't acknowledge them as being fantastic games and story vehicles. I recognize them for they are. I don't read Stephen King anymore because when I used to read Stephen King, it terrified me and. 35, 40 years later, I still have nightmares based on books I read in 1980. So I don't do certain things. So this is a game not for Lewanika, period. That's (laughs) part of the reason why I'm not too familiar with Blades in the Dark. It's not for lack of opportunities to play it or pick it up. And I know it can be ported into different types of things, but I tend to stay away from things that on the cover look and appear horror-like. Yeah. Ravenloft is a weird thing because, again, like you said, Glenn, action horror is different than horror. The Hammer monster films from Universal Studios in the 50s or whatever are very different than other types of horror films and horror thrillers and things like that. So I just don't do that. All of that said, this is not a game for me. But when I saw those videos, I too, like Josh said, damn, how do these people that we're supposed to be holding up as – pillars in our community do this without giving any acknowledgement. I then read the articles and saw that they did say something. So I'm like, that's not correct. They actually did that. So first of all, I think that video that we looked at in particular and things like that are mostly clickbaity. Uh, and I, yeah. and after looking at least as what I've seen, I think the way they talked about that was very disingenuous. The deeper issue, because Glenn, you asked a question that I would have asked for anybody who has read or played Blades in the Dark, is how tight to those rules was it? 
Josh, you've confirmed it's exceptionally tight to those rules. And then the one question that did come out in those articles that we were looking at and reading and researching was Blaze in the Dark has – has a license type thing. It's very similar to the illuminated by Lumen or powered by the apocalypse or whatever, right? I forget what it's called. It, the info was in the research article, but there's basically a statement that appears on blades in the dark ports. And the question is, Darrington press going to put that on their game. A very separate question. Are they legally required to, they may not be legally required to, But are they going to do it anyway, or should they? I, like you, Glenn, like you, Josh, feel that if you're going to basically do a thing in a system where you may not have a legal need to do something, that doesn't necessarily mean you don't have a moral reason to do something. My goal here is not to tick off fans of Critical Role or Daring Can Press. They don't have to do anything they don't legally have to do, and it's not up to me to pass judgment on them overall. But I would think... Oh, come on. We pass judgment on Watsi all the time. We do. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but Critical Role has not shown their colors. They, they've done a lot for this community, and they're moving up into the big leagues. We'll see how they go from here. Yeah, but my point is I'm not at a point at this stage in the development of this game ready to pass an overall judgment on this issue. I think that they should strongly consider putting whatever that iconography needs to be on that game when it's finally produced. There's still time for them to change their opinion on that. I don't know if anything is printed yet. So I think that's something that could be fixed, and I would implore them to do so if, in fact, the game is close enough to warrant. That would be my only thing. Like I said, one way or the other, I'm not the market for this game. I'm not putting down dollars to buy this game unless it's as a gift for somebody else. So I have to step back from it in that regard because it's not something I'm going to play. But I would hope that the type of acknowledgement we have would cover borrowing to a certain level. If they borrow beyond that level, I think there's another step for them to take. Yeah, and I think that they're trying to go ahead and thread the needle that mechanics can't be copywritten. That's what we always hear is that why did Watts even have to put out an SRD in the first place? Mechanics can't be copywritten. And I think that the acknowledgement at the end is a way of them saying, yeah, anybody that knows Blades in the Dark is going to see the blood and the sinew of that game here. So we're going to acknowledge it. We're not going to shy away from it. We're going to acknowledge it. But we're also not going to go so far as to go ahead and say that this is a Forged in the Dark game. It's a choice. But is that the expression, Forged in the Dark, is the... Yes. Yeah, because the one yes, for, like, for the dark. Yeah, but we yeah. haven't seen it. We haven't actually seen a cover for this book yet either. Uh, no, there's one in the playtest version. Uh, there's one in the playtest, and there's nothing on there. We're assuming it's the completed version, right? It doesn't say it's. This is the quick start guide, so it's it is. I'm assuming that it's final. It has the quick start guide has like a credits page. It has it has a table of contents. It has it's like a book book. I'm assuming this, that okay. the, the quick start guide is done. But at any point between now and full release of the final game. They still could add it and then go back and sure. add it to the digital copy totally. of the Quick Start Guide. Yep. True story. I just so. wouldn't expect them to, honestly. I, but that's I, a, I wouldn't yeah. either. Yep. Uh, but like I said, I would hope that they would. Yep. All right. Those are the big hits that we wanted to go ahead and talk about that have happened over the last couple of weeks. So let's go around the room for kind of some uh, some small hits here. Uh, Lou and Nico, why don't you start this evening? What do you got to, for uh, for a quick hitter? 
I wanted to talk about one of my favorite pet projects, pet games, game that I really am excited about and can't wait to actually get to play, though it may be a few months before I get to. And that is a game by Evil Genius Games. It is Everyday Heroes. Talked about it on the show several times. My love for modern era role-playing started years and years ago. That's why I actually started playing Palladium games to begin with, and just the Super Spies, Recon, a game that I believe, Glenn, you ran Recon originally back in the day. Love that game. Love Ninjas and Super Spies. Love Heroes Unlimited. Anything in that modern era so I could play Action Heroes. We loved Action 12 Cinema that we did with the RPG Academy last year. And I just love that type of game. I, we did, I did a session for AP for Black Cat Games and their uh, The Spy Game, which was a 5e port into a modern era. But Evil Genius Games is great. I backed their Kickstarter very quickly. I've got books coming in. They continue to release according to schedule. They actually released on Memorial Day, one thing a bit early. Basically, they continue to fulfill their Kickstarter exactly as prescribed, and the games are coming out, and they're wonderful. They're just wonderful. As we talk about how companies are we question motives. We question what's going to happen. Sometimes things go long and things are not really great. I wanted to shout out a company that's really doing it right. The creative team behind this was the same creative team behind D20 Modern back in the early aughts. A great game that I have every book from, both digitally and nearly all of them physically. I just think it's wonderful. And some of the titles, Escape from New York, The Crow, Pacific Rim, Kong Skull Island, Highlander just came to me last, not too long ago, which is actually a bit early from when they were originally planning to release it, I believe. Total Recall is on the way. Universal Soldier is on the way. They did an early partial release for Rambo mm-hmm. on Memorial Day. And there are many more coming next year as well, several of which I backed as well. So I'll be getting those as they come out. I just think it's exciting to see a couple do these things and i really look forward to being able to play a modern game and borrow rules from these various different ips to augment any homebrew world and game that i'm playing in yeah they strike me like free league publishing who anything that free league touches you might as well just like back up a truck with like gold doubloons and dump it on their doorstep because some of the stuff that freely has freely we talked about the aliens game they did the aliens game they did blade runner they've done their they've done probably the best port of a of a one ring game so far another game that was called out by candela obscura vason which is a kind of a nordic horror game that probably the thickest heaviest role-playing game book i have ever i've ever read through it's a slog Uh, but for the most part free league does just amazing games and i think that the publishers behind everyday heroes are very much doing the same thing and i'm really looking forward to doing things like if you want to do i'm thinking like how cool would it be to have a one shot where everybody has highlanders and you're at a convention what a great convention game yep (laughs) have people go and just it's the one time you could actually say pvp works because that's the actual goal and you can have fun with it and maybe you team up together to to get so far through things and then at the end you have to duke it out because there can only be one yeah (laughs) so mine's going to be pretty quick tonight talking about Pathfinder and some of the changes that they have announced really recently, like within the last day, about how they're shaping up their next edition and how they are completing their move away from the 
Dungeons and Dragons rules. Now we know that they moved away from from D anD D officially a while ago, but they're still continuing to slice away pieces of Dungeons and Dragons so that they can go ahead and carve their own unique lore and everything like that. They have basically announced that they are going to be retconning the Drow out of Pathfinder in its in their entirety for a variety of reasons, but not the least of which is, again, divorcing themselves fully from the D&D core rules. And when you have a race that is so symbolically Dungeons and Dragons like the Drow, that I can understand why that move is being made. But basically what they're doing is they're carving it out of their lore entirely and by things that like, there's like a drow city that in new lore is now going to be a ruin of mysterious origin that that a group of serpent folk have have moved into to go ahead and take in. But basically they're not acknowledging what the origin of the city was at all. And so they're doing it in such a way that if you wanted to continue to make it with the drow at your own table, you can still do that. But from anything in the official lore, they are basically stripping it out altogether. And I think that's an interesting approach. I'm curious to go ahead and see how it works on this one and kind of what they're going to decide to go ahead and do that same thing with in other pieces of the lore. Are there other pieces of the lore that are going to fall by the wayside? I was going to say, when I watched their <laughs> video and I watched that full discussion that they had, I appreciated the fact that they lamented having to make that decision, but it was the best decision they could make moving forward to preserve what was theirs, separate themselves from what wasn't, and acknowledge the fact that there are actual problems with the past of D&D. And so this was a good decision for them. And I actually agree on face value. I think it's sad that it had to come down to this, but for all the things that we spent largely the first half hour of this show talking about and all the things that we've spent many episodes talking about, it was probably a good decision. And I can't say that I'm thrilled because we all have some stake in the drow, or at least us, the, those of us who grew up with the tales of Dritt Stewart and the books yeah. from Forgotten Realms. And But let's be honest, the drow as a race are problematic and people are already, and Watsi, but also other people in their homebrew games are already working on trying to change them. And if someone were to, in a game, try to reintroduce the drow now as the only straight-up black-skinned race who lives underground in the dark and is evil, yeah, it wouldn't fly. Yep. There's some. There is. It's a fact that there's some straight-up racist BS behind the original creation of the drow. That probably they wanted to separate themselves from too, even with the changes the drow are going through now. Because honestly, if you look at somebody who grew or evolved in an underground environment that was completely pitch black, their skin would not darken with pigment to protect them from the sun. It would be the opposite. They could come up with a new race of underground elves, and I heard that they have cavern elves. I don't know anything about their lore yet, but um, I think that the step away from the drow was probably appropriate. They're built into fantasy canon at this point, but like the mules and some of the things from Dark Sun that never made it, they're thing they, they maybe shouldn't have made it as far as they did. All right, Glenn, what do you got for for a quick hitter to go ahead and wrap us up tonight? So we saved Watsy for last. Where they should be. <laughs> but so what I've got for you all this evening is just the, some more interesting developments on the Wizards of the Coast front. All of their books have been pushed off till the fall. So, you know, the books you've been waiting for and wondering when the spring books were going to launch, even though spring's almost over yet, we're running out of spring pretty quick. They finally (laughs) announced, so sorry, guys, we're not going to put those out until August and September. So all of their books now are being released at the end of the year. I suspect to distance themselves from the OGL thing, 
a little bit and see how things shook out before they continued with their releases. But it's still a lot to put all that out at the end of the year. And I think they're going to flood their own market right before the holidays. There's going to be too many choices for for new books. But we'll see how we'll see how that pans out for them. I think overall this year is not going to have been the best year for Lotsey. No. Six books um, in six months at the end of the year is a yep. bold choice, Scott. And we and I wouldn't be surprised if we wind up seeing some of those wind up getting pushed into twenty twenty four if they had stopped working on books as well. Yeah. Or slowed down working on books while they tried to scramble and redirect. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a couple of these get pushed off into the following year. But in other news from Watsi, they will all come at an increased price rate. It has happened. So the basic book cost is now going to be fifty nine ninety five, And yeah, it's only up 10 bucks. And yeah, inflation, et cetera, et cetera. But we're already spending a solid amount of money for 60 bucks for a, a core book. Is It's a hefty price tag. And some of us were already feeling it, particularly with the number of books that they put out. Yeah. I also found it very interesting that one of their new books wasn't even on the original docket. The Practically Complete Dried guide to dragons which is coming out in august yeah people don't really know much about because it was never announced never touted never pre-marketed it's just hey guess what we made this one of the things that i watched was saying maybe this is just scraps from the cutting room floor for fizzband's book of dragons and they decided to put something else out because they had so much material left who knows maybe it'll be good maybe it won't but based on the title and what little information is out it reads more like a lore slash fan resource than a game resource, but we'll see how, see what it actually turns into. Yeah. But my biggest question is they're doing a digital bundle. And does that mean that for 6995, when you buy a digital bundle, your digital book will be available on D and D beyond because with them buying Watsi, that's one with Watsi buying D and D beyond. That was one of the big questions we had. Will you be able to get your digital copy on D and D beyond with all of your abilities to port into your game and all of the bells and whistles for a bundled price or a reduced price from Watsi when you were buying the main book. And I haven't found anything that confirms that digital bundle is on D&D Beyond, but I can't imagine what else they'd do with it. I have that answer for you. Oh, fantastic. The answer to that question is, no, it's not on D&D Beyond. Uh, hmm. But yes, you can get the digital version for D&D Beyond. So if you go to D&D Beyond, you can pre-order the first of the books in that six-book release schedule for the listed price digitally. Or you can click on the link, which takes you out of D&D Beyond to the D&D homepage or purchase page for their store where you can then buy that book, pre-order the hardcover with the digital copy as well. So that price is listed there. You can get both, and effectively, they're going to give you a code, which you can then use to pick up your free copy on D&D Beyond. So, yes, it is bundled. That is the way to get it bundled pre-order style. What happens after the book is released is probably similar. You can either buy the digital on D&D Beyond or buy the bundle set there. But if you're the kind of person who wants a special cover and to buy that at your local store, there is no bundle if you buy that at a local store. And that's as the downside yet, to the bundle. As of yet, I have no knowledge as to whether or not if you buy that at Amazon or any other online retailer, if there is a any kind of way to get a digital bundle with that as well. So they have, as we talked about many times before, thrown salt in the eyes of their flagship game stores by making it so it is less palatable to buy a thing from the game store, unless you are a person of means where you can afford to buy a hardcover book 
and buy a digital book separately. Um, If you are the kind of person who wants to buy both, you're out of luck if you want to support your store with a Watsy product, basically, unless you have the means to buy both. In contrast, there are other companies out there, and I'm going to call it direct contrast with Modifius because this is a great example of how to do this right. You buy the book anywhere you want to buy the book. You send them what they need for proof. In the case of Modifius, it's a picture of you in the book. They send you the PDF. Done. That's how you support your local game stores. What Watsy's doing is not yeah. that. Although right. I will say that I was not able, when I bought the the player's guide and the dungeon master's guide for Star Trek Adventures, I was not able to get them from my neighbor, my friendly neighborhood game store because their distributor no longer carried it, which is a bummer. I really wanted to go ahead and buy it from them, so I wanted to buy it from Modifius directly. Yeah, and I am be- I have the benefit, and it is just, and I'm not casting shade at anybody who struggles doing a thing, but I, what I would say to retailers, if you've got fans who want to support you but still also want that digital thing on some level you as a retailer need to support the companies that are also trying to support you and i know that people have different deals with their different distributors and such like that but it may be time to consider maybe for at least this line we pick this up from a different distributor just so we can at least get this line it's been a long time since I've been in the game. It is hard. I know when I owned a comic book store, it was hard to say I get all this from Diamond, but Diamond doesn't cover this one thing, so I need to go to some other company to get this other thing. But on some level, if I had fans who were in my shop that wanted it, I eventually found a way to do that. Now, yeah, you got to make the numbers work, and I absolutely get that. But that's a thing. And if you don't have that, maybe it's talk to people. Maybe have, maybe communicate, build that network, talk with other folks, see if there's a way you can work something out. I know that a lot of the game companies, the smaller game companies who are seeing, maybe they're not with a given distributor because they didn't know that distributor exists. Maybe you just let them know and maybe that's something they can work out, find a way. I'm blessed Citadel Game Store, they have access to the Star Trek products. They've been bringing them in as we've been building up fans here in our area. So we continue to play. We continue to direct stuff. That's why I've done some events there is mostly because I I want to be able to play the game and I want to grow the game. Cool. Next week on the channel, on Tuesday, we continue with Chapter 2 of Star Trek Preservations, our Patreon actual play, the the mission that I got to run there on Space Station Aslan, so that was a fun time here. And then next week, we're going to go ahead and we're calling this one The Return of the Side Quest, because we are going to go ahead and finally, now that the Dungeons & Dragons movie Honor Among Thieves is on Paramount+, Plus, we're going to go ahead and give our review of it. So that'll be a good time. That'll be next Friday on the channel. Gentlemen, thank you again, as always. Thank you, everybody out there, for listening. Hope that you enjoyed today's show. Join the controversy. Join the discussion. What are your thoughts on on the latest news out in the tabletop role playing game space? Comment, comment on Twitter. Comment on the episode. We want to know what you're thinking about about Tales of the Valiant. About please throw me some support. All of these it. guys know that I'm not the only one that thinks that they're being shady about this. So <laughs> please, I beg you, give me some help here. Throw me a bone. Hey, all right. And if you're gonna want to play Tales of the Valiant. Hashtag call your boys, TTJ. Exactly. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. Have a good night. Good night, all. Later. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. 
You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at TT Journeys, joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday, and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash TT Journeys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for legends await. <laughs>